Welcome to Apollo's Muses, the COVID culture and cash series. Hi everybody, welcome to the fourth episode of the COVID culture and cash series of podcasts. I hope wherever you are, you're well on the day that Arts Council England started handing out some of their emergency funds. I hope if you were receiving results of your application today, you got the results that you were hoping for. That's assuming you've actually been able to log into Grantium. My name is David Burgess. I'm director of Apollo Fundraising. And through this series of podcasts, I'm trying to share examples of how arts fundraisers are responding to the coronavirus pandemic, how they're continuing to raise money for their organisations, how they're continuing to engage their supporters, and the response they're seeing from their supporters. In this episode, I'm chatting to Dorcas Morgan, who is Development Director at Park Theatre. Park Theatre's a relatively new addition to the London theatre scene. They're just approaching their seventh birthday. But in that short time, they've made a huge impact, bringing incredible shows, uh, world-recognised talent to the stage, as well as emerging artists. And like theatres everywhere, have been hugely impacted by having to close as a result of the coronavirus lockdown. During our conversation, Dorcas told me about the work she's been doing over the last six weeks, first with a major telephone fundraising campaign and more recently with a new online fundraising campaign aiming to raise the funds they need to secure the Park Theatre's future. Hi everybody, welcome to the fourth instalment of the COVID Culture and Cash series of podcasts uh, and I'm joined by the legend that is Dorcas Morgan. Good morning Dorcas, how are you? I love being called a legend, thanks, I'm feeling much better after that. Excellent. <laughs> I think those that know you uh, absolutely know you deserve legendary status. For those that don't know you, do you want to say a little bit about you and, and what you do and where you work? Sure. Um, well, I guess if I, I feel at all that I deserve legendary status, it's simply because I've, I've been doing, doing it for quite a long time. Um, that said, I did a lot of other things before I became a fundraiser. So fundraising um, for me started around 15 years ago um, with uh, the opportunity to work at the Unicorn Theatre. Um, so it felt like a lot of paths meeting for me as um, somebody who'd been an actor for, gosh, 15 20 years and then had taken time off to have my kids and by default had ended up in a rather cushy job with a lovely boss working for a finance company who dealt with uh, personal finance which wasn't my area at all but the people were lovely the job looked after me well but after about eight years I thought I've had enough of this and this uh, I was actually on a cheeky sabbatical funded by my lovely boss at that time which is a rare gift uh, which has never come about again, and trying to decide what to do. And um, yeah, I, I ended up working at the Unicorn, which uh, is it for people who don't know is is a theatre that specialises in work for children and young people, and is absolutely fantastic. And at that stage, had just opened its new building down in More London, so a beautiful state of the art building. Uh, and I worked there for eight, seven, eight years, really kind of learning on the job as you tended to do in those days, David, didn't you? There wasn't really any formal training. And I, and I learned from some wonderful people, um, including um, somebody who is a legend, Joanna David, who's a, an actress and who basically opened her address book up at the Unicorn. And I think that's the biggest gift 
any charity can have, which is a well-connected person who's prepared to badger their, um, their affluent friends. And she raised millions for us. And she taught me one of the key things about being a fundraiser, which is try and thank within 48 hours, which I, uh, I stick to to this day. Um, uh, and I, since, since then, I've done a, a variety of, of different things. I worked at Wilton's Music Hall. I've tended to stick with small theatre-based um, charities because uh, I really enjoy um, the opportunity working in a small organisation gives you to kind of work very closely with all departments and in a very holistic way. Um, I've tried to learn a bit more about the science of fundraising because I tend to be a very um, instinctive person. So I'm trying to always balance the, the head with the heart. Uh, and for the last seven years, I've been at Park Theatre in Finsbury Park. So again, I joined them very early on in their journey. And uh, yeah, we're about to celebrate our seventh birthday. So in lockdown. So um, yeah, that's where, I, that's where I am currently. So no big party for the seventh birthday this year. Maybe you know, take well, remotely? Probably will be. Uh, to be quite honest, David, Park Theatre staff are known for their parties. I mean, Park Theatre... We've done many, many a celebration across the years. So watch this space. I'm sure we will, we will devise some way of sharing seven years with all our supporters and donors, uh, particularly at this point in time when we've had such amazing support since we've all gone into lockdown. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to ask you a little bit about what you've been working on in, in just a second. Uh, but before we talk about fundraising now, what, what does fundraising normally look like for the Park Theatre? Um, well, it's again, it's always interesting. Uh, I mean, the difference between going to the Unicorn when they were in their brand shiny new building and going to Park Theatres at the Unicorn, actually, we celebrated 60 years while I was there. So it was a very well established brand, although they had an added challenge of their demographic constantly changing because obviously their audiences tend to grow up and move on. Um, coming to Park Theatre, uh, it's uh, the fundraising there has evolved quite a lot over the seven years I've been there. But when I first joined, uh, you'll, I'm sure you'll recognize this, many, many fundraisers will recognize this situation where you move um, from trying to convert people who have donated towards a capital campaign into people who might support you ongoing and become revenue funders. So I joined in this wonderful situation of there being like so many members. I was like, wow, this membership's huge. And then of course I realized they basically gifted a membership to pretty much everybody who'd ever donated. So we did spend the first few years very dependent on individual support. I would say that I've had experience in all areas of fundraising, but the area that I'm undoubtedly most successful at is in individual support. And that's, that's served me very well at Park Theatre. You know, I love, I love meeting people. I love build, building relationships. I'm very fortunate in being in a venue-based organisation because I do think that getting somebody to your venue and sharing the work is kind of a key step towards converting them into donors or not. Um, and uh, we have continued to have big success in our individual support whilst trying very hard to build up trust and foundation support over the years because obviously a lot of trust and foundations need a bit of tra track record and they wanted to see how we kind of emerged and developed and what, um, how our program began to shape up and how we were working with our local community and, you know, what other kind of added value we were bringing to our little bit of North London. Um, so it's, that's built gradually and 
we've moved it towards multi-year funding for things like our accessible performances program so it's it's balancing that um core program which is obviously the work you put on the stage with the the more fundable things like the creative learning program the community outreach the access work some of which i think our board was quite um tentative about at the beginning because they felt we built a theater and you know sometimes it takes a little bit of understanding and recognition of um particularly uh in the role of fundraiser of going yeah but guys <laughs> you're here to be a creative community hub uh, and that doesn't mean that people are going to all rock up and buy tickets to see shows they need to engage with us in a kind of really broad cross-section of ways so it's really developed but it is still at park theater undoubtedly the individual givers who are the kind of the most supportive yeah so in terms of the annual fundraising targets how much have you got to bring in each year well, at the moment, we need to generate around 300 to 350,000. Um, so what that enables us to do is to basically do our core program of work with very few add-ons. So that's my kind of base target. And then I have what I call the icing on the cake target, which is the money that we bring into our production fund, which is a kind of pot of money that's generated from a, a circle of donors who are committed to our supporting the artistic program. And that generates around sort of 60 to hundred grand a year. And then uh, things like my accessible performance program, my community engagement manager, they all sit on top of that. So I guess probably we're talking about half a million in total. And so, so what impact then has coronavirus and lockdown had so far on your fundraising? In, t in terms of the money you're bringing in and the financial impact on the organisation? Well, um, obviously, uh, the immediate implications of that were, were terrific. I mean, we have um, an extraordinarily engaged board, and I would say that um, they're very diligent, uh, and our finance committee in particular are very diligent. And they're, you know, once we knew the furlough scheme was in place, that was a huge relief because basically we shut our doors on the 18th of March with the intention originally, as most theatres did, of shutting for six weeks, which we just hit, um, and no idea of how we were going to get beyond that. I think we felt we could limp through six weeks if we needed to, uh, because we, we did a massive fundraising year last year with a, with a gala, and we did something called Who Done It Unrehearsed, which was a kind of fundraising run with lots of celebrities. So we effectively doubled our fundraising last year because we wanted to build reserves, because we want to build up our producing arm. Uh, and of course, the biggest impact of this was the, 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 the fact that that was so threatened. Um, <clears throat> So that's that that was the first thing and but it's come in waves as I think you've uh, you recognize that things come in waves So that was the first thing about can we get through the first six weeks? And then as things started to move quite quickly um, Obviously the furlough scheme came in and that that was a, a fantastic relief, but <clears throat> You know our, our finance committee being our finance committee their first thought was but what happens if we're not able to open for another couple of months uh, and even with the furlough scheme, obviously, like every other organisation, there are ongoing costs. Even if you shut the doors and you're no longer paying the majority of staff their full amount, um, there's only so many months you can go on like that. And I think the problem with winding up an organisation, which is what they, they, were, they were concerned they would have to do, you have to protect your staff and make sure that you've actually got enough money in the coffers to do all the things you need to do when it comes to making somebody redundant. 
So we were like suddenly faced a week in with them going, I think we'll have to liquidate the company on that basis, even though we weren't going to run out of money straight away, they were looking ahead and quite rightly trying to protect the interests of the people involved with Park Theatre and who work for us. So we were faced with the dilemma of having to raise quite a substantial amount of money very quickly in order to satisfy our board that we, we could continue. So that's where the initial, initial telephone campaign came. And I never do telephone fundraising. I've never done it. Um, I mean, we all do those telephone calls, but, uh, I, and I should stress, it wasn't a, tele, a cold call, because obviously we can't do that anymore. It was very GDPR compliant. And basically what we did was we pulled everybody we could think of who'd given over a certain amount. So we were very clear about approaching people who we knew in normal circumstances had the wherewithal to donate, who had indicated their interest in the theatre, had already supported or attended a gala or won an auction prize, whatever it was, and um, had opted in to hear from us. And that was basically my artistic director personally telephoning people, explaining the situation and saying, do you think you can donate? And you know, it's hard to ask people in a time like this because we have no idea of what those people are going through, whether their businesses are going under, whether they've lost their jobs, whether they have people who are ill. Um, but I have to say, the response was absolutely extraordinary. I mean, he must have got probably a 90% success rate. Wow. Ask was very clear and articulate because he is a very clear and articulate person and very passionate obviously about the theatre and I think sending the big guns in is sometimes necessary because although I like to think um, uh, you know I have a really great relationship with my donors I'm also constantly doing that fundraisers dance of wanting them to actually first and foremost be committed to the organisation not the person because we all know what that's like when you move you're always worried that your donors are going to, you know, like, oh, well, you know, I, I donated because I like you. So it's always been very much, and I'm lucky with Park Theatre because there's a lot to like about it. So um, that was really reassuring because I, I hold quite a lot of those relationships. So it was nice to have Jez talking to some of the people who are, you know, people I generally deal with. And, and for them, it was great to have a chance to talk to him. Uh, and then, of course, he's brilliant at cultivating people. So he had his own list as well. So um, between us, that, that generated that first wave of, of income, which was the thing that made the board go, OK, yeah, we can, we can carry on. And so how much, how much was raised through that telephone uh, that that tele that original telephone campaign raised around three hundred thousand before gift aid, so that's probably about three hundred and fifty thousand, which is extraordinary. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, that that that's been fantastic. That's incredible. I'm really interested then in the in the structure of those those calls. So how how did Jez approach those conversations? What was sort of the, the structure of that conversation? Well, I think the thing about this current crisis is, and the thing that I really, really encourage fundraisers to recognise is that we're all in this situation together. There is nothing to explain, really. I mean, obviously there are things to explain about the nuts and bolts of what does that mean? What will that do? But everybody understands that if you shut a theatre down uh, because of this this um, pandemic, which affects everybody, you're bringing no money in, you're, le you're letting loads of producers down, you're, you have nothing for your staff to do. Uh, so 
everybody understands that. So, so you're, you're sort of on the front foot before you start. So one of the things that um, I wanted to be, well, I'm going to be very honest here and say that Jez's initial call out was very much from the heart. Uh, and, and he knows better than anybody the financial situation at Park Theatre. So he went out in a very honest fashion and said, this is what will happen. If we don't raise this money, we will have to shut Park Theatre down permanently. And for lots of people, I was like, no. So, I mean, it was as simple as that. Uh, and we've done retrospectively, we've done quite a lot of, because also uh, we, we raised twice what the board told us they would need in order to satisfy them that we could continue. So we, so we have on the surface of it raised a lot of money and that in itself uh, creates issues because, uh, you know, last week I was doing our Arts Council application, for instance, and we've just launched this online campaign, which we can talk about. Um, and I needed people to understand why we were still fundraising, having already raised £350,000, which for us is a lot of money. <laughs> I mean, I know for some organisations it's, 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 peanuts but for us that's a lot of money and a great affirmation of how far we've come in seven years um but but the thing about again about this current situation which everybody understands is that we have no idea how long it's going to go on and like a lot of other organizations we've done some financial modeling which actually even as i speak feels like it's out of date but initially was based on us being able to open again in september being able to open again in December or being able to open again in March, 2021. And that felt the worst case scenario, a whole year of being shut. And that for me, that initial money that we raised uh, was about if we, if we, that will take us through to the point that if we open in September, we can retain the reserves and the production fund that we built up. We spent seven years building up. So that we can come back and continue to produce a proportion of our own in-house work. We can uh, come back secure in the knowledge that we have financial stability and we can get ourselves up and running and we can survive a period of time when perhaps audiences are down. If we open in December, we'll have started to eat into our reserves and our, and our production fund, but with this support, we will still have some money left. And at the very, very worst, if we have to stay shut for a year, we have enough money to limp through to March 2021, but we will literally be back at, at square one. So we will have nothing left, but we will have survived. <laughs> we won't be able to produce any of our own work, but we will be a venue, we will be able to function, we'll be able to get visiting companies in, we'll be able to do a limited amount of creative learning work, and we will work really hard to build that up again. Um, and that the money we're now trying to raise online is actually around that whole thing we've just talked about, about running up to reopening. The fact that you have to reopen, you have to have some money because when the government money runs out uh, and they go, right, you can reopen again. So we're not paying any more salaries. You bring your staff back on, but it takes two to three months just to kind of get the shows ready, get the audiences, get you know, everything back in, in shape, ready to open the doors again. Fantastic to hear that, as you say, supporters understands that, that it's not just a case of turning the tap back on and we can put the lights on and there'll be a ready-made show ready to go on that on that first day. A 
success rate on the telephone call is is fantastic. What response did you get from those who weren't able to donate? Was there a negative response from many people, or was it quite a uh, neutral thing? We love you. We just can't do this at, the, yeah, at this time. Yeah, I mean, you know, we had we had donors who have already given huge amounts. You know, people have gotten before us, or or their or their commitment is in a slightly different place, or that they were worried about the impact on them. Some of them have said, "We can't do it now because we just have no idea whether we we." we have any dispensable income that we can allocate in this way. But if we survive better than we think, we you know, ask us again. We've had other people say, this is how much I'm going to give you now. If you still need more, come back to me, which is amazing. Nobody just said, get stuffed. <laughs> you know, nobody, uh, I mean, I think people said no for very, very valid reasons. And I expected more people to say no. So we were very lucky. And for those that said yes, what was the, the sort of range of donations you were getting over the phone? They ranged from 30 quid to £40,000. So a huge range. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, some of the people that Jez asked were kind of very, very kind of speculative. A couple of people said, right, I'll give you this much and I'll find five people who give you the same amount. So we were introduced to some new people and yeah, it's been, it's been really interesting actually. Yeah. It must be quite heartening to see those people who say you've built, built a relationship with, but who are prepared to be there and, and stand by you at this time and, and looking for ways they can help. It, yeah, I think it is fantastic. And I think if there's anything I mean, there's a lot of positive to be taken from this situation because it's been incredibly affirmative. I mean, for me, because I'm obviously I'm leaving Park Theatre, so this is a bit of a last hurrah, albeit done remotely for me. It's a huge uh, testament to how far we've come in seven years. And also that point I made before of people developing a loyalty and an engagement with the theatre. Mm not just the people who work there. I mean, you know, it, it needs to be a combination of the two. You know, we're called development for very good reason because we develop the relationships, but the relationship needs to be with the organization and it needs to be based on the, on the, the output. Uh, and of course we enhance that with everything we do with cultivation and, you know, comms and all of those things. But it was a great testament to me of that loyalty. And also, um, I think it was, it was, you know, we've, we, a lot of our fundraising in the past has been, we, we've been extremely lucky in the support we have from the theatre sector. You know, Jez and Melly, who built the theatre with him, were really, really smart when they were in, in building the theatre and that they did all these amazing hard hat tours. They got people on site drinking, you know, taking tours. They got got a number of ambassadors from from the theatre sector so people like Sean Mathias and Celia Imry and all sorts of who hosted parties for us and brought their guest list so the the deal was that we provided the hard hats and the canapes and they provided the guests and the drink and they held psych parties and so people like Ian McKellen and Alan Rickman and Maureen Littman and people like that who've been incredible over the years um came to those site parties and said, this is amazing. We want to support. So we've done a lot of celebrity fundraising in the past, which has been, a, you know, absolute lifeline for us because we're new kids on the block and there's something about part of the theatre being kind of kindly quite, you know, buzzy and vibrant and the go-to destination in the middle of grungy Finsbury Park. So to have people who are not 
driven by celebrity, who are actually driven by the person who runs the theatre going, we really need your help, is great. And it's just been a very affirmative thing to recognise that in a very short space of time. And that's even more apparent now we've got the online campaign running, which is the one designed to kind of bring in uh, smaller donations from a, a wider pool of people. And the comments have just been, you know, bring tears to your eyes. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. So for me, that's, that's been a terrific part of it. And also a great opportunity for people, because I think when you have a theatre like ours, uh, which again, you know, is all about being welcome and open you know, I love, I mean, my favourite thing about Park Theatre is it's open in the morning when I get there. It's open in the evening when I leave. It's got people meeting. It's got mums and dads and babies, you know, catching up. It's got kids doing, uh, you know, working with their tutors. It's got people having, you know, meeting, having illicit meetings. And, you know, we've got lots of lovely little kind of cosy corners. It's got our reminiscence group who are, you know, our, our participants who live with dementia and their carers. It's got age UK. It's got loads of, it's really, really has built into a really thriving community hub. Um, and so, you know, for a lot of people, they think, well, it's incredibly successful. Look, you know, they had Ian McKellen, they've got all these people performing, uh, you know, why would they need our money? And then when you strip it down and go, this is why we need it, it's been a very great opportunity for them to recognize that putting on great theater requires so much resource. Um, and we do it with very little, we do it very little and we do it with no arts council regular funding and all of those things. So just been quite good to be able to kind of strip strip off the grease paint really and point the spotlight on actually what it takes to keep a theatre open um you know we tried to do a little bit with our annual fund which we launched um, a couple of years ago and we said you know how much does it cost to run the theatre every day and people were you know we had a whole range of things from I don't know, 350 quid through to a million you know Mark Gator said a million pounds it's great and actually, at that point, it costs nearly £4,000 a day to run a little theatre like Park Theatre. And I think people have no idea of that. So, yeah, so it's been good. It's been a very interesting process. So you mentioned the, the online side of the campaigns. Tell us about that. What, what's been the messaging for that and how have you been promoting that? Well, that launched on Friday. So um, this, was, this is called Park Life. <laughs> course um and that's the idea it's to kind of bring the bring the life back into the building so uh having as i said secured that really wonderful amount of money as our security blanket to get us through a period of closure part life is about a rate um, raising a hundred thousand pounds to fund that reopening period which we estimate wouldn't it be two to three months um from whenever we're given a go-ahead to do that so um, so we have no, we have no kind of deadline on when we raise that by, uh, because we have no idea how long this is going to go on for. But we set ourselves target of 100,000. I've set it up on GoFundMe because for two reasons. One is because actually we have a cap on accepting online donations to our website of the ground, which is a bit of a pain in the ass, but that's where it is. Excuse my language. And, uh, and also come the end of May, we are pretty much, I mean, I, I finish uh, the end of May. 
so we won't have a, a development director my assistant will still be on furlough as will pretty much all the rest of the staff i mean we're only there are only five of us who are still working um and i i wanted to make sure that if people had issues they had an outside you know some somebody else to, i wanted to outsource it so that we didn't have it we didn't have to deal with stuff like that because our inbox will not get checked very much obviously at that point uh, which is a shame and something we're still looking at um so that's so the messaging there has been yeah this this is the money we need in order to to get ourselves up and running we're planning um a kind of reopening weekend which will be a bit bit based on the sort of fun palaces model where we'll get the community involved uh you know we've got a really lovely community around us in finsbury park it's not just us that are closed which you know obviously the restaurants are closed their business is hugely reliant on our audiences so even if they were open they would not be you know they just wouldn't be getting the same numbers of customers so we we thought we'd invite them to pop up um you know there might be a, it'll depending on when it is there might be almost a kind of street party feel to it so it's it's funding a kind of celebration because i think it should be we've really got to think ahead now as a the arts have to work together to think ahead about how do we celebrate reopening uh you know i think it's got to be something that is everybody works on together it's got to be a sort of like you know sadiq khan's london is open kind of campaign i think we've all got to be thinking ahead to how do we celebrate the fact theatres are open how do we get over people's hesitation about going back into spaces with 200 other people breathing on you which none of us can imagine at this point in time how do we work together to you know, um, subsidised tickets for key workers coming to, to see, you know, theatre and go to galleries and museums and opera. So I think it needs to be across the arts initiative. So it's sort of our uh, steps towards a celebration and coming back, hopefully bigger and better than we were before. But watch this space, because if it goes on, you know, forever, who knows? Yeah, it's that uncertainty, isn't it? That yeah yeah and i mean that's what you know that's kind of what our fundraising has been trying to address the uncertainty so again uh you know i wanted it to be really clear in the fundraising about what the different scenarios are mm. if we open here we'll be able to do this and if but if we go on till here i mean this and it but you know, if, if it if it goes on much beyond a year, I mean, I don't know how anybody will survive that. So, fingers crossed. Yes, definitely fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. And do you think? Because I can imagine that there are organisations that are saying, because of that uncertainty, because we don't know what it's going to look like, we can't start fundraising now. And obviously, you mentioned at the start that you're quite instinctive by nature, and it's that trying to balance that head versus heart. Do you think that instinctive nature has, is one of the reasons the organisation has been able to move so quickly in both the telephone campaign and now getting the online campaign up? Well, I'm glad you say quickly, because actually we felt we were a bit behind the curve. But um, I think, well, I think I go back to that uh, 
thing of working in a small organization. I mean, I've always felt when you work within a small organization, you get things done much more quickly because you don't have to, you know, consult with a whole committee of people. Some of you might not be available for a week or two to see you. I could just walk to any desk in the building and say, can I have a chat with you about this? Uh, you know, we, that, that's been the case since we started and I'm also I'm also very fortunate to work with a team of people who are very open to ideas it's been much harder remotely and also because we decided to set up a GoFundMe <laughs> for any fundraisers out there you have to set up a PayPal business account which let me tell you is a bit of a pain in the ass particularly when you're working remotely because you have to have so much documentation uh, and so we were held up by a couple of weeks just by the administrative process we needed to go to, which actually for me was very useful because it meant that uh, it gave us a bit of breathing space. It gave me time to keep going. I need to understand. I need to make it clear to our donors why we need this money, because I understand why we need it. But we need our donors to understand because, yet again, we're asking for more money on top of money. Uh, and I think we we came we came up with absolutely what I wanted people to be clear about, which is this this um, several different scenario options and how even even if we open at the earliest opportunity, uh, you know, it will it will do a certain thing, but it it isn't going to leave us rolling with money. It's just going to mean that we've managed to sustain ourselves at the same level. Uh, and I also think that's really important for donors who are giving in a time of uncertainty because you need to be able to go back to them and say, this is what your money's achieved. And in the very worst case scenario, you need to go back to them and say, despite fantastic donation you made, we are still shut a year down the line and we spent all your money on, and we haven't delivered anything. But, they, but people understand that. They understand that it's, it's an investment in the future. And, uh, and in terms of being quick off the mark, uh, we didn't really have a choice, really. Mm. Just didn't have a choice. Um, because if we hadn't raised that money, we would be going into liquidation now. So it was needs must, really. And so have you seen a difference? I mean, you, you mentioned you do the annual appeal mm. for the last couple of years. Was there a difference in the way you got this appeal, both the messaging and it out into the public compared to those previous appeals? Uh, not in terms of the approach, because we always plan everything very meticulously, because I'm always very keen to vary the ask. I'm always very keen to make sure the timing is right. Um, we've always made a big thing about a birthday. And I did say to Jez, my artistic director, I said, when you get to 10, maybe you could just drop this, because every year we do something. This year we'll be doing it remotely. Uh, but there will be baking. Watch this space. Um, uh, I, so these things like the annual fund, we timed it to coincide with our fifth birthday. We were lucky enough to have Juliet Stevenson heading it up. Because again, you know, I, as I talked about, you know, the fact is having celebrity endorsement has worked very well in our case. And in terms of the planning, it, it, it was it was very similar. It was just shortened because obviously we were on a much tighter time frame. And the only other difference has been that we've gone, we've done it, as I said, we've gone through an outside fundraising, you know, we've outsourced that, um, which has, you know, been helpful. Because as you know, David, there's an awful lot of admin involved <laughs> in fundraising. And uh, the telephone campaign, I mean, there have been 300 and how many, no, no, 
uh, I think the telephone we had it we've we've had about 120 donors for the telephone campaign and just following up and thanking and making sure the gift aid is in place and can you know can I opt you in for future stuff if you have if they're new people and all of that all takes time have I got your update address if you do it through I mean I, I remember this last year with the gala dinner I I invested in Givergy who are, you'll know they're a, mm. a great digital fundraising tool that you have at things like you know fundraising events oh my god the joy of not having to follow up with people for payments having all the gift day done worth every single penny uh, and again with you know doing the GoFundMe we've now got nearly 600 donors to the annual uh, to the Park Life Fund only launched on Friday and we're third of the way towards the target which is fantastic the first wave obviously which is always going to generate the biggest amount but the fact that they've all been thanked or in some way shape or form and that the gift aid is done automatically and all of that you know I just couldn't manage it at the moment mm. so uh, I would really recommend doing that for anybody who's like us working on skeleton staff. You mentioned before obviously that there's some been, been some positives that have come out of this so what are the things that you hope will continue once lockdown has finished well i think the thing i i obviously we've met some new we've met some new people uh one of our biggest donors was somebody who came to our gala dinner and bought an auction prize uh was introduced by a very very regular donor and member and has been fantastic and supportive and wonderful. So we've met, we've, we've perhaps developed relationships faster than we might, because if somebody had given us a very generous donation at a gala dinner, I would be unlikely to be asking them for money within six months, which is what we were within, yeah, yeah, within four months, in fact. Uh, and yet it's, you know, and yes, it's yielded results, but then I don't think it would have, it wouldn't necessarily have done that if it wasn't for this particular crisis. Um, so fundraising in a time of crisis, I mean, look at Captain Tom, you know, wonderful, but you know, let's face it, <laughs> that's extraordinary, 28 million pounds from a wonderful gentleman who's about to hit his 100th birthday walking his back garden, it's a wonderful thing, but in no other circumstance would you have raised that kind of money. So that's the thing we have to realise, how fantastic are the British public, that they are digging deep. And that, you know, the, the at-home thing they did the other night, uh, you know, again, raising loads of money at a time when you would think people would be very risk-averse when it comes to donating. So I hope that we've developed some really good new relationships. I hope that we've continued to communicate, because, you know, I'm a great one for transparency and helping people understand how a business like ours works and the fact that we are a charity. I mean, you know, that, again, because you sell tickets to shows, I remember... I've got, you know, I've got a lovely development board, but I remember one particularly, um, uh, he, he's, he's quite, uh, he asks lots of questions and he's quite right. He, you know, he's quite, he's quite, he'll, he'll, he'll be very probing about things. And about 18 months into being on our development board, he said, you know, it'd really help if you were a charity. And I was like, how do you not know <laughs> How do you not know that? It's on everything. And, I, and that was a huge lesson for me because I thought you cannot tell people enough times that you are a charity. I always remember when I was at the Unicorn and I worked with uh, my very dear friend Siobhan, who was development director then, and saying, I want it to be like 
the Eden Project. As soon as you come in, I want that wall over there to say, we are a charity. Every time we've got a big white wall at the theatre. One of the things I had hoped to do before we left was say, because I have that thing that says, we are a charity, charity number one. We cannot exist without your donations because it doesn't matter how many times you say it in your season brochure, in your comms, people just forget. And they go, oh, are you a charity? Yes, we are. <laughs> so hopefully that will be a bit clearer. Um, yeah, and I'm hoping, I mean, that's the positive side. I mean, I'm going to admit that I have a few concerns because when you do that kind of level of fundraising, my concern is how does that then impact you for the next two or three years? Because if somebody's giving you a great wadge of cash, does that mean that they're going to go, well, I think I've done my bit now. And that, and in a couple of instances, I've thought, I feel that people are kind of advancing the support they might have given us a little further down the line because they recognize we need it now, which is fantastic. But, you know, this time next year, when hopefully we're open again and we're, we need to fundraise half a million pounds a year to continue, I worry that, that, um, that, that we may have depleted some of our resource, but hopefully not. Well, I think the fact that people have stuck with you, sort of think they, they want they don't want to delay that closing of the park theatre, or they certainly don't want to see those standards slip. It's the thing they love about the, the theatre, is that vibe, that atmosphere, and the work you do. So fingers yeah, crossed between the thanking and the and the stewardship and continuing to have that vision. I think once they see that you are still able to put on those high-quality performances, you are still able to do that work in the community, that, that people will stick with you. Yeah, and I also think, actually it's a great time to be bringing fresh blood in. And, you know, if we, if, if we manage to hang on to the candidate that we have lined up to take on our, my role, who will be fantastic in the job, it'll be a great opportunity for them to connect and really show appreciation. And uh, hopefully uh, as a new person, because they don't have the history of being part of that campaign, they can be a bit bolder and a bit more, um, ballsy about retaining that support and I also think we have to then turn that around and go gosh if people have invested that much money in making sure we survive they're not going to drop us now mm. for the sake of perhaps a lower levels of support which is what you would normally expect because some people have really really pulled the stops out and given us you know two or three times more than we would have expected in, in a year so uh, we have to hold on to that really Fantastic. Just before I let you go, one question I've been asking everyone, obviously lots of organisations have been making their work available digitally. Are there any things you've seen from arts organisations that have really stood out you'd recommend to, to people listening? Well, I mean, I think we're so lucky at the moment. I mean, obviously just the straightforward streaming of shows. I mean, One Man, Two Governors, which we took my eldest son who was bashing around in here before he's home from uni, Two for I think his 15th birthday oh my god just as good as I remembered it great fun um oh there's been some wonderful stuff there's um, I'm sure you've had this cited often there's that wonderful um compilation of ballet dancers um limbering up in their own homes to uh Rachmaninoff which I think was Paris Opera and Ballet or something uh, that's been online um that just just people kind of uh, getting together via Zoom and putting together kind of scratch performances have been great. We've had a couple of our, um, our cafe bar staff, actually. Um, we've got a wonderful girl who works on the box office called Holly, who's kind of gone a bit viral with a 
poem that she performed online. Uh, Gemma Barnett, who used to work in our cafe bar and was in a wonderful um, production at Trafalgar Studios called 100 Words for Snow, I think it was. She did a, a sort of, Tatty Hennessy, who was the writer, did a sort of update on it all around, because it's about a mother and a daughter and their relationship after the father dies. And it was all about them living in lockdown. It was absolutely exquisite. And it screened last week you know they did a whole day of digital um performance um uh from kind of west people across the west end to raise money for um some of the uh theatrical kind of benevolent funds and she was brilliant um so it's just a great pleasure i mean i come across things all the time um and uh, we feel very envious at Part Theatre. We don't have that much digital content. We've got some lovely films of um, some of our offstage work that we do, which we showed at the gala last year, which we're we're gradually promoting. But we have plans, David. We have plans. Ooh. So, you know, watch this space. There may be something coming to your Zoom screen soon. Excellent. Oh, we look forward to that. Yeah. Thank you so much, Dorcas, for telling us about the work you've been doing over the, the last few weeks. I'm going to let you go because you've got 600 online donors to thank. And uh, good luck in, in the thank new you. job as well. Thanks very much. As you can tell, I'm never short of words. Speak to you again soon. You take care. Huge thanks to Dorcas for giving up her time this morning to talk to me about the work she's been doing at Park Theatre. I think it's really nice to hear how they've been using the telephone as part of the first part of the appeal. We don't hear many examples of arts organisations using telephone, certainly for solicitation, but we're hearing from other parts of the charity sector that phone calls at this time are having a fantastic response rate. People are taking more time to have those conversations and are making donations. I think in the case of the Park Theatre, the fact it was led by the artistic director who was able to speak so passionately in a really heartfelt manner about the situation the theatre was facing, linked with that call for support, has been a key part of why they've been able to raise that £300,000. I also think the focus of the online campaign is really interesting and perhaps something other organisations can start thinking about. Because while the Park Theatre doesn't know when they'll be able to reopen, they do have a fair idea of the costs it's going to take to get the shows back up and running, to be able to get to a point where they can welcome people back into the theatre. So perhaps something for your organisations to consider. Can we start fundraising for those costs now so that we know the money's there and we can move as quickly as possible when we're able to open our doors again? And I really hope someone takes up the suggestion Dorcas had of organisations working together on a unified campaign to celebrate when arts and cultural organisations are able to reopen. I think that will go a long way, both to celebrate the high quality of the arts and culture sector here in the UK, but also boosting public confidence in going back into those spaces. I hope you found the examples we've shared during the first four podcasts interesting and you've been able to take away some ideas and inspiration for your own organisation. We're going to keep talking to fundraisers about their experiences during coronavirus, but any feedback you've got on the series so far, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Things that work well, things that aren't working so well, how you've been able to implement some of these ideas in your own work or things you'd like to see us do in future, please do get in touch to share your thoughts. And if you're looking for new learning opportunities during this lockdown, 
I absolutely recommend checking out the Fundraising Everywhere Festival, which is a virtual conference taking place between the 11th and the 15th of May. Um, session times for people in the UK are 3 o'clock through till 5.30 on each of those days. They've put together an incredible panel of speakers, uh, international experts, talking about a whole range of things related to fundraising. Uh, it's going to be an incredible learning opportunity over those five days. And tickets are unbelievably good value works out as 50 pounds for access to all five days of those content and you get access to the recordings afterwards and if you work for a small charity tickets are available for free so we'll make sure there's a link to the fundraising everywhere page on apollo fundraising with this podcast for you to be able to find tickets to that that's it for this episode thanks again to dorcas for giving up her time and for sharing her experiences of fundraising during the coronavirus lockdown Thanks for listening. Take care and see you soon.